All right, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Joshua, the book of Joshua in chapter 4, and now you can turn anywhere in your Bibles and it'll all be good, but if you want to be in the same place that I'm at, Joshua 4 is the place, okay? And so um, I hope that this morning uh, we will uh, get a chance to look at the importance of remembering, the importance of remembering. That's what we think about at this time of year at Memorial Day. Uh, the other day, uh, Caleb told me, he said it was his favorite of the patriotic holidays, and uh, some of you may feel the same way. Um, you know, uh, as a young man, uh, as a, we'll say a, a boy maybe even, uh, I remember you would celebrate these holidays and you never really understood the significance of what was taking place. Usually you enjoyed the barbecues and the days off, right? And uh, I remember uh, when it began to strike me what we were really celebrating, uh, especially in days like Veterans Day and Memorial Day and, and these type of holidays, uh, the real genuine significance of it. And I remember starting to kind of comprehend that there are people who not only risked their lives but gave their life in order to protect people like me. Uh, we were able to have the freedoms that we enjoyed because there were people throughout our nation's history who were willing to give the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, I remember one of the, the when I, as I began to, to understand this, uh, it was the first time I, I heard the well-known poem by John McRae called Flanders Fields. Uh, maybe you remember it, read it, reading it in school. In Flanders Fields, the poppies blow. Between the crosses, row on row, that mark our place, and in the sky, the lark still bravely singing fly, scarce heard amid the guns below. We are the dead. Short days ago, we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved, and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe, to you from failing hands we throw, the torch be yours to hold it high, if ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep though poppies grow in Flanders fields. You can visit Flanders fields today in Belgium, and you can see where uh, battles of World War I took place and where many lost their life and are now interred. And so I was thinking about that uh, sacrifice and thinking about the importance of remembering. It's a good thing that we do by remembering. Matter of fact, uh, if you look throughout scriptures, God also takes remembering pretty seriously and uh, gave many things not only to Israel but even to the church as memorials. Uh, every time we baptize, it is a memorial. Uh, every time we participate in the Lord's table, communion, uh, it's a remembrance. He said, do this in remembrance of me. We know the nation of Israel had many celebrations and many uh, vehicles for remembering, whether it was Passover, right? Remember what God did? To even the fact that the ark contained several items to help them remember what God had commanded them. From setting up a permanent memorial of the, the tablets of the law uh, to what we see in Joshua chapter 4 today, a memorial that was established. And I think there's some things we can learn today from these memorials that we too should remember some things. And this is the reason why, because remembering God's past faithfulness will give us courage for the future. Uh, you know, the fact is, is, you can look at what's happening in today's society and be very cynical, <laughs> Uh, you can become nostalgic and say, oh, for the good old days. But here's the thing is, God has given us truths that give us courage to face whatever comes ahead, not to cower in fear. And we talk, we sing songs like, hold the faith or uh, hold the fort for I am coming. But uh, I don't want to just hold the fort. I want to storm the gates. Amen. <laughs> I want to, I want to see God do great things. And um, so I hope that you will receive some courage from what we see in this passage in Joshua chapter 4. And uh, 
If uh, you have your Bibles, um, I'm not going to ask you to stand for this. It is a lengthy passage. And so, but just you can sit today and uh, just kind of follow along as I read aloud. It says, And it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you are to lodge tonight, which would have been Gilgal. Okay? Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. And each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean? To you, Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And when it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so just as Joshua commanded. Took up the twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan as the Lord had spoken to Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. And he carried them over with them into the place where they lodged. And laid them down there. Then Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood. And there they are to this day. So the priest who bore the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people. According to all that the Moses had commanded Joshua, and the people hurried across, excuse me, hurried and crossed over. And it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over, that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the people. And the men of the Reuben, uh, the men of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed before the children of Israel, as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. And on that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all of Israel, and they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Command the priest who bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. And Joshua therefore commanded the priest, saying, Come up from the Jordan. And it came to pass, when the priest who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priest's feet touched the dry land, then the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. Now the people came up from Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they camped at Gilgal in the east border of Jericho. And these twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. And the Lord your God did... To the Red, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, help us to remember. And God, help us to, to set up uh, in, in our own hearts uh, moments of remembrance, monuments of remembrance, so that we can look back at your past faithfulness, and that would give us courage for the future. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, let me just give you a brief overview of the history that led up to this, okay? And I'm going to cover 2,500 years of history in just a few moments, okay? Uh, after man's rebellion in the garden, we talked about that even in our singing, right? Uh, Adam sinned in the garden. It didn't take long for the world to descend into total chaos, okay? It says it became filled with violence, became incredibly sinful. So God sent a flood to judge the earth, but he rescued Noah and his family, which is a wonderful picture, by the way, right? Uh, he judged the earth, God is just, but he also rescued people because he loves them. And so we see both God's grace and we see God's justice in this picture, but mankind didn't end the rebellion there, okay? He re hit the reset button, so to speak, on humanity. But we know that at the Tower of Babel, mankind once again to seek to build his own kingdom, to build life on his own terms. And so rebelled 
as Adam did. And he had told them to scatter across the face of the earth. They said, no, we're going to stay right here and we're going to build our own kingdom. So what did he do? He confused their languages. That's why we have so many languages today. God gave different languages, so it would force them to move out by tribal groups in order to fill the, he- or fill the earth like he had commanded them to do. But then we see God in his infinite mercy come and appear to a man by the name of Abram. Okay, And he made a covenant with him. And in this covenant, he made a promise that he would make him a great nation. And from this nation, he would bless all the other nations. This is a picture, uh, I should say, it's a clear declaration of the gospel before Jesus uh, comes to earth. He says, Abram, who eventually became Abraham, God changed his name. He says, I'm going to bless all nations through you. And it really was a fulfillment Uh, or I should say, a further promise to fulfill what he had said earlier to Adam and Eve when he said, hey, listen, the, the serpent which tempted you and you fell, one day there will be someone from your seed, one of your descendants is going to crush that serpent's head. He's going to destroy Satan and his work. And so here again we say there's going to be someone that's going to not only crush Satan's head, but he's going to be a blessing to all the nations. So this is wonderful, wonderful good news. And so through Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob, then Joseph, we see God preserve these people. Uh, We know that through a a famine that happened, God directed through Joseph that these people that he had called would go to the land of Goshen in Egypt. And there God preserved them for hundreds and hundreds of years. But then we know that the Egyptian pharaoh forgot what good that Joseph had done by helping preserve Egypt. He turned on them, he enslaved them, put them in harsh bondage. And so God says, now is the time in my my eternal plan, I'm going to call my people out of Egypt and I'm going to take them to a land that I will give them, the land of Canaan. Okay, And so uh, we know that the Egyptians didn't take the news very well. <laughs> they said, no, I won't let you go. And so God, through a series of miracles, uh, including plagues, changed their hearts. So he allowed them to leave the land of Goshen and start moving toward the land of Canaan. At that time, uh, Pharaoh had a change of mind, decided, I'm not going to let them go. I'm going to go back and retrieve our slaves. And so as they were going, God supernaturally opened up the Red Sea. Israel passed through on dry ground through the Red Sea, and he did it through a true miracle. Uh, don't let people try to say, well, it was just at low stage, and it was uh, extra dry that season, and so uh, the waters just weren't flowing down the river. No, it says they stood up in a heap. God did a miracle. They passed through on dry ground. When Egypt tried to follow them, God caused the waters to crash down on them, destroying the Egyptian army, and thus allowing Israel to continue toward that land that he had promised them. So we know they came to the land of promise. God says, go in and take the possession because I have given it to you. Just trust me, I will be with you. Go and conquer the land. But what did they do? They were fearful. They were scared. They did not trust God. It was unbelief that was the real problem. And so they refused to go. So what happened? God said, you know what? Now you're going to wander for 40 years in the wilderness. You're going to have to wait because you would not trust me. And in that wilderness, all the people who had decided that they weren't willing to go in, God caused them to die in the wilderness. So now there's this brand new generation that is raised up. Moses has been replaced by a man by the name of Joshua. Joshua was sort of his protege. He helped serve with Moses. Moses had trained him. And now Joshua, Moses had died. Joshua was taking the reins of leadership, so to speak. God was the real leader, but he was following God to go into the land. So this is a pretty critical moment in Israel's history. A lot has happened. And God was was trying to show his people... It's time to go in and possess this land. When you came to this point before, you didn't trust me, and you wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Now it's time to have faith and go in and take the promise that I've already given you. I will go before you. And in order to prepare them, now, a lot of times when in in Christian uh, songs, especially older songs, they talk about crossing Jordan as death. Crossing Jordan isn't death. Remember, they went in through the Jordan, and what did they go into? A land that they had to fight battle after battle after battle, right? When we get to heaven, there ain't going to be no more battling, okay? This is a picture of the Christian life. 
He was passing through the waters. This is a, a symbol of us being baptized into Jesus Christ. Not physical water baptism, but us actually entering into Jesus Christ. That's why the Ark of the Covenant was right there in the middle. Why? It was a symbol of God's presence. Jesus, God's presence came down and through him we can pass through and be given life and enter into the land, enter into the Christian life. It's a beautiful picture. But we see that God wants to give them the courage they would need for all the battles that lay ahead. Now keep in mind, here is a tribe who has been slaves and now we're nomads for 40 years. They're really not the optimal fighting force that the Canaanites were. The Canaanites, on the other hand, were technologically more advanced. They had better weaponry. They had reinforced cities. Just look at the, wall of Je- or, uh, look at the story of Jericho. They also had alliances that they had forged so that city-states would join together in battle. So really, it didn't look extremely good for the nation of Israel. So God said, listen, I know your faith is struggling, so I'll tell you what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to show you what I can do. I did it back when you crossed out of Egypt at the Red Sea. And now I'm going to do it for you again so that this new generation can see that God is faithful. You're not going to be living on manna no more. It's time for milk and honey, amen? And we're going to usher you into that. So what's happening here is of vital importance. And so, it's something interesting. Did Joshua or Moses set up a memorial outside the Red Sea? They didn't. But they did here. Because Gilgal was just on the other side of the Jordan. It was in the land. The fact is, they weren't going back to the Red Sea. They didn't need a monument there. They needed a monument right there where they were going to live. They needed a continual reminder. This is also interesting. You read this passage and you go, it kind of sounds like that there were two memorials. You're exactly right, there was. He says, I want you to put a memorial in the middle of the Jordan. And then I want you to take stones and I want you to set it up in Gilgal just on the other side of the Jordan. And so he said, and both of these memorials would be like this. In days to come, your children will come and say, what do these stones mean? And you would say, oh man, let me tell you the story. Let me tell you what God did. And they would need that that courage as they face the battles that lie ahead. And so you say, but wait a minute. Uh, It says here that the Jordan had overflowed its banks. Man, this is what I love about this story too. God doesn't make it easy. He does it during flood stage, probably spring. And so we know that the Jordan River, which at, at, at low times could be as little as 100 feet wide, at this point can be up to a mile wide, a torrent, uh, uh, a fast-moving torrent of water. It would be terrifying. And then I love this. You know what God does? He makes them sit by that river for three days until they cross through. Imagine that. You come out of your tent in the morning. You see that rushing, roaring river before you. You'd say, we're going to cross that? Get up the next morning. God, are you sure we're going to cross that? There's got to be a better time of the year. I mean, there's times of the year where it'll be tough, but maybe we could do it. But why now? Let me ask you a question. Do you think God really did it by accident? Like, oh, you know what? I'm sorry. You're right. That's the worst time to cross. Tell you what. Why don't you go back into the wilderness, wait a few months, let it get lower, and then we'll go. Do you think God made a mistake? No. You think he chose to do it at that moment so God would say, I'm going to do something so big, you know I did it. And you're never going to forget it. You will not forget. That's what God was doing. And this is, this is exciting. So he says, I'm going to sit up in the middle of Jordan. I love that. You know, maybe at the highest flood stages, those rocks may have not been visible. But then it was low. They would say, oh, uh, how'd those rocks get there? And you say, how do you think they would get there, son? It would be impossible to do it while it was flowing. I mean, because the water, it would make it too hard. I, there's no way you could. How in the world do you do that, Dad? Dad didn't do it. Your God, your God did it. Listen, the stones at Gilgal would be impressive because that would remind them of the story. But the stones in the Jordan said only God can do that. Only God can do that. And that's why he gives these two. And so we see this amazing story. 
But I want to share with you some things that rem remembering will do for us, okay? So now they're crossing in. And by the way, you want to, you want to see uh, the, the pep rally? No, I would say the, the coaches' uh, pep talk before the big game. Look at Joshua chapter 3. And I'm telling you, it's beautiful. Joshua's like, okay, guys, we didn't do so well in the first half, <laughs> okay? First time we came here, didn't do well. But you know what? That half is over. It's time for God to, has given us the second chance. Now let's go out there and let's trust God. It's a beautiful, beautiful uh, just sharing of his heart as to why have faith in God. He says in verse 5, sanctify yourselves because God is going to do wonders among you. He says you're going to see what he can do. He will drive out the Canaanites, Canaanites before you and he is going to do it without fail. He's telling them, listen, guys, if God does something for you miraculous here where you trust God, yeah, we will. You sure? Because remember that whole Red Sea thing? <laughs> now many of them would, would have been brand new. Some of them would not have even remembered it. But some of them would have been children at the time and would have remembered it. He said, listen, we can't do what we did last time. This time we're going to trust God, okay? This time is going to be different. And so he says the, the, the God of all the earth will cause this swollen river to stop. It'll stand up in a heap. We're going to cross over. The priests will cross over with the Ark of the Covenant. They'll be in the middle on, of the river on dry ground, not mucky we can barely move ground. It's going to be dry ground just like the Red Sea. And then God in his presence is going to stay right there. And then as they're there, God holding back the, the river, we're all going to cross through on the other side. And then when God is done, the priest will come out with the ark. And God will show himself strong. Now, see, this is something very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. Why did they need this? Okay, <clears throat> Egypt had conquered many parts of Canaan. They had become uh, vassal states. In other words, Egypt, through a series of campaigns, had gone into Canaan and actually conquered many of the Canaanite people at different periods of time. And now he was saying, now you're going to go in and you're going to conquer the Canaanites. Now, if I was an Israelite saying... God, we've been wandering around for 40 years. We don't have enough weapons. We're not trained warriors. How, how in the world are we going to do this? And then he's going to say this. Who beat the Canaanites before you? Egypt. Who beat Egypt? You. Do the math. If I beat Egypt and Egypt beat the Canaanites, who do you think is going to win this battle? Who told you that they would be with you to drive out these nations before you? Did I not tell you that? Yes. It was giving them courage. And then he said this. Now, because I want you to believe that I'm going to do it, I'm going to do this miracle, just like the Red Sea. And you're going to remember this time from days to come. And when you get scared, you look back and say, what does God do for his people? Let me tell you something. That's an important thing. There are moments in my life where God has done just exceptional things. And you, I've written those things down. So I can look back when I'm starting to say, God, I don't know if you're going to do this. It's as though God is saying, well, what have I done in the past, Jeremy? Well, let me, let me go back and start reading some of my journals. You did this, and you did this, and you do this. And he says, am I going to all of a sudden just stop being faithful? Am I just going to be like, oh, yeah, I know I was there for you before, Jeremy. But you know what now? Uh, I'm not sure you can count on me. No, it's a reminder God is going to do it. And that is very, very important. So they set this uh, up is just about uh, two miles from Jericho. Before their first big major battle, they had this monument. They set it up and they get ready. Listen, remembering is important, but you know, it can be used the wrong way too. Sometimes people use remembering to just cling to the good old days out of nostalgia. Listen, we don't cling to the methods of the past, but we do cling to the ever-faithful God and his word, right? So we have to be careful. We're not, just, we're not just looking back and says, oh, I wish it was like it was years and years ago. What we say is this, hey, listen, the things that God has told us truly and surely from his word, God will keep today, and we're going to cling to the precious word of God. Methods may change, but God's word does not change 
So we have to be careful not just being nostalgic. Um, But I also want to say this. God doesn't remind us of the past in order to discourage us. He's not highlighting your failures. Sometimes we can look at the past and say, man, God, I let you down. God, you're faithful, but look at me. You, You know, I'm supposed to be obedient in this area, and I just keep on failing. God doesn't cause you to remember so he can browbeat you and remind you of all the ways that you failed. Listen to me. God reminds you of the past in order to give you courage for the future and to show you that you don't have to make the same mistakes. He's not there to browbeat you and say, oh, see, you're just a loser. All you do is make mistake after mistake. He says this, you know what? You've made some past mistakes, but that does not have to be your future. I am giving you another chance. And I, I, I hesitate to say second chance because I don't want to think it's like you get one or two and that's it. God is gracious. Now, I'm not, we should never, should never presume upon God's goodness and say, well, God will forgive me and I'll just keep on sinning and whenever I'm good and ready, I'll come back. Don't you do that because God disciplines those whom he loves. And I'm going to tell you what, I would rather live obediently and experience God's blessing than him to have to continually be disciplining me because I won't obey. Nobody likes that. And so God is just saying, listen, you are going to set up these stones. You're going to remember because I want you to, sh- I want you to remember, I'm going to show you that what you, the mistakes of your past do not have to be your future. You can be different if you'll trust in me. And I love that in this passage. So let me just give you a couple things I think remembering will do for us, okay? Number one, it refocuses our hearts on what matters. You know, here's the thing is, you know why God tells us that we have to remember? Because we forget who he is, we forget who we are, and we forget why we're here. Over and over, God, do you know that every time a new king came uh, came to power in Israel, God says you have to write your own copy of the law. He wanted them to remember. He wanted them to remember. All these celebrations, all these feast days are all saying this, I want you to remember. Listen, you know how quickly we forget our identity? We forget who we are. In Christ Jesus, we are new creations. Is that true? Are you a new person in Jesus Christ? Listen, the, the thing that identifies you the most as a Christian is that you are in Christ Jesus. Really, that that trumps everything, including what country you were born in, what you think about yourself, what you may believe about yourself in confusion. All that is superseded by this. Who does God say you are? I'm telling you what, you know why it's important to remember? We have to remember who God said we are. Stop saying, well, who do I say I am? Who do other people say I am? And say, the question I need to be asking is this, who does God say I am? And cling to that. But we also forget who God is. We can forget. I, I'm, you know, I look at Israel and I say, man, those guys, they were always forgetting. I mean, look at the book of Judges. It says over and over, and they did not remember the Lord their God. And they did not remember the Lord our God. I'm like, losers. What is wrong with you until I do it? And so I'm standing in front of a situation and I'm terrified. God, I don't know what's going to, I don't know what's going to happen. I say, Jeremy, you don't need to know what's going to happen. You need to know who's going to go with you into that circumstance. Who's going to go with you? You are. Is it going to be okay? Yes. I forget who God is. And so time and time again, he has to remind Israel, who am I, Israel? I am the Lord, your God. I am your God. We also forget what he does. There are times when I have to go back and say, I have to rehearse what God has done in his faithfulness. And say, Jeremy, what has God always done? Has he always provided? Yes. Has he always walked through you? You know, have you always made it by God's grace? Yes. Has he brought you to this point? Yes. Is he going to bring you to the next point? Yes. Then stop letting fear discourage you. Listen, it's easy to get discouraged, especially today, isn't it? We look at what's going on and we get discouraged. But then we say, wait a minute, who is with me? God. What does God do? He's faithful. 
What can God do? He's all-powerful, he's all-wise, and he's sovereign. I think I'm going to be all right. That's why, you know, what I love too is there's sometimes I get discouraged and I have other men around me, uh, our fellow leaders and other men in this church say, hey, what does God do? They don't say it necessarily in those words, but they say this. Okay, what has God done so far? What does God's word say? Jeremy, go back to God. Who is he? Who are you? And what does he do? And folks, that's what we need to get a hold of. And remembering does that. When they looked at it, when those children looked and they said, what do these stones mean? They would say this. Let me tell you who God is. Let me tell you who you are. You're God's people. Let me tell you what God does. He takes rivers like that and he parts them. I've never seen that before. And the dad can say, I have. I have. It's so powerful. And we need those moments. Let me tell you something. Whatever owns your heart is going to own your future. If fear owns your heart, discouragement's your future. But let me tell you something, when God owns your heart, when you're focused on God, who he is, what he's called you to do, what you are in him, my friend, that's what owns our heart. In essence, God owns your heart. But not only that, we see remembering communicates God's faithfulness to future generations. I've got a lawnmower, probably all of you do. Now, I'm not talking about an electric mower, man. I'm talking about one of these kind that just, uh, you know, it rumbles and it roars and it's a gas lawnmower. Okay, and so I'm not saying anything against electric ones. They're great too. But, but you know what I have to do before I start my lawnmower? I have to prime the pump, don't I? I have to get in there and have to push that little, that little button there and just prime that and it gets a little bit of that fuel in there. So when I pull that thing, man, the carburetor puts the fuel in there, mixes it with the spark, and man, next thing I know, that thing is roaring away and I'm cutting some grass. And uh, I also, because of my allergies, have mucus coming down all the way to my chin. <laughs> Some of you probably experienced that. I did that yesterday. And you're like, great, that's a visual. I am not going to be able to get out of my mind. Thank you, Pastor. Really, that was special. <laughs> Sorry about that. But here's the thing is, I think that these remembrances prime the pump for the next generation. When, when we sit down with our kids, when we sit down with the next generation of believers in our church and say, let me share with you what God has done for us. We're priming that pump. We're priming that, and we're thinking, hey, we're, we're getting their faith um, primed to trust God. Now, here's the thing is, they hadn't experienced God the way we have, so they can't have the same faith that we have. But what we can do is say, God is faithful. Now, here's what's amazing. The Bible says that, you know, he, he actually says we have, ought to have faith like a child. Because they're completely trusting. And then all of a sudden, a child starts to grow up, and they suffer disappointment. And pretty soon they're saying, I can't just believe everything I hear. I've got to be, uh, i I gotta, I got to have more assurance than that. And cynicism just kind of grows after that, right? And here's the thing is, is our children, they're hearing us say these things. And when they're little children, they might say, I believe it because you said it, Dad, and I trust you. But at some point, they're going to ask questions. What do these stones mean? And at that point, we can start to say this. Let me not just tell you about a God that's written on the pages of a book. Let me tell you how there's a living God who lives in our lives. And this is what God has done for your dad. Moms, you can say, hey, this is what God has done for your mom. God said this, this is how he did it in my life. He said this, this is how he did it in my life. And we are priming the pump. Let me say something to parents right now. If all you do is give your children a law to obey, rules to keep, but do not show them the reality of a loving God who will work for his glory and their good, they're not going to share our faith. You see, what people want to see is something real. They don't want to see some history. They don't want to see just some abstract principles And I'm afraid that too many times parents think, well, I'm just going to tell them all the things they're supposed to do and not do. That's not what they need to see. Should you have rules? Of course you should have rules. Of course you should. The law was given to be our schoolmaster. In essence, when we give rules to our kids and they fail, we show them their need for Jesus Christ. They need law because law leads us to what? You can talk back to me. What does law lead us to? Repentance and what else? I mean, law and then 
man, I got to teach more on this. I'm not, uh, I thought this was going to be a softball question. Grace, right? Law prepares the heart for grace. When we say, wait a minute, I can't keep all these rules and say, you know what? There was a Savior who did for you. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Law sets them up for grace. We need the rules. But let me tell you something. If all they get is, here's the things you should do and not do, and they don't see a real and living God in your life, they're not going to want that. And they'll reject the rules too, by the way. They'll say, what I want to see is something real. And folks, this monument that was erected was a way to say, there's a real God, and you see that monument? Go over to the Jordan River. What do you see? There's the same set of rocks over there. How do you think they got there? We're passing our faith to the next generation, and they need to see this. But remembering also keeps us humble. Keeps us humble. You know, uh, there was a moment in Matthew 17 when the disciples tried to cast out a demon out of this, this little boy, and uh, they couldn't do it. And they came to Jesus and said, why couldn't we cast him out? And Jesus said, because you're unbelief. And you're saying, oh, they, they didn't have enough faith. They just need more faith. No, because he says, if you have faith in the grain of a mustard seed, you'll be able to tell the mountain, move from that place to this place. He goes, the issue is not how much faith you have. The issue is, where is your faith? You see, somewhere along the way, the apostles got a little bit too big for their britches. And they're like, we cast out demons. We heal the sick. I can just see Peter showing, hey, guys, I'm the man. I am the man. Well, okay, there's 12 of us. We're the men. I mean, we really are awesome. Look at us. And then they fail. And they say, God, why do, Jesus, why do we fail? And he said, who are you trusting in, man? The problem is, is, is belief is belief in me, not belief in you. Not self-confidence, it's Savior confidence. Let me tell you something. You know what monuments do? It reminds us, I didn't get through that on my own. That monument reminds me, only God could have done that. Listen, God specializes in the impassable, an impassable river like the Jordan. He also folk, or, um, is able to do the impossible. Not just the impassable, but the impossible. And they needed that lesson because they were about ready to go in and face some of the hardest challenges of their life. They needed to remember. And they could go back time and time again. What's interesting is this. If you look at where Gilgal is, it's almost directly in the land of Canaan midway. And from there, they had a central campaign, a northern campaign, and a southern campaign. But they went right into the middle. And that's pretty awesome because Gilgal is right there kind of in the center. And it's a constant reminder, hey, when things got rough in our southern campaign as we moved down south, who's the one who parted the river and brought us here? It was God. When they were getting, things were getting a little tough in the northern campaign, what did they say? What is, remember those stones? What did they say? God will help us. Remembering keeps us focused on God's glory and not ours. Here's the thing is, if we can do it on our own strength, we get the glory. If God does it when it's impossible, only he can get the glory. And that's exactly what we see here. It keeps us humble, but it also inspires all. Notice what he says in the passage, that in times to come, we might remember. And and that the nations may see that the Lord was our helper. Uh, Right there in the end of chapter 4. He says, as the Lord your God did at the Red Sea, that all the peoples of the earth, verse 24, may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. All peoples might know that the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. It's inspiring awe. God wants us to be in constant awe of him. And here's the thing is, as we remember what God has done, our all for him just continues to grow. He did this, and he did this, and he did this. And here's the question. He said he called Israel to be a light to the nations, right? A light to the nations. God has called us as Christians, also as his people, to be a light to the nations, to preach the good news of Jesus to every single person. And here's the question is, as our faith grows, our light grows. And what do you want to be? Do you want to be a nightlight or do you want to be a flood lamp? Now, here's the thing is, you know, the truth is, is we say, oh, Lord, I want change. But I don't want challenge. I want to go deeper into Jesus Christ. But I don't want it to be difficult. 
We say we want to be like Jesus, but the thing that makes us like Jesus is hard things that require great faith and so that we can trust him and trust him alone. And by great faith, I mean this, trusting God, not yourself. Not trusting him a little bit. If you want to do great things for God, you can't trust him a little bit. You've got to trust him a lot. What does it take to trust him a lot? Hard things that require total trust and faith, right? And people say, I want to be a light to the nations. But I just want a little faith because I'm okay with being a nightlight. He says, man, I've called you to be a lighthouse. To, to throw the beams across the waves. What do you really want? And that's the question. What do you really, really want? He could have chosen any time for them to cross, and he chose the hardest possible time because that's the kind of faith that they were going to need. He set them by that river for three days, staring into the rushing waters. At night, they could hear it roaring. And he says, I want you to know, I want you to be fully aware what's going what's to happen. You're going to see every day, uh, this, there's no way this is going to happen. So when I do it, you'll have great faith but you know what lastly remembering prepares us for greater works let me tell you something they were going to conquer a land far stronger than they this right here was just preparing them for even greater battles Look, continue on and look at Joshua and see the things that God did. To just face Jericho, they were going to need great faith. And so God doesn't just challenge you to say, hey, look, I'm great. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? There's a purpose behind it. He is growing your faith so that he can do even more with your life, something that's going to require more faith. Why do we train our kids? We, we give them responsibilities, and then we give them more responsibilities or dip, more difficult things. I mean, the truth is, if I was a senior, and I was sitting in class and saying, hey, teacher, can you go back to that 2 plus 2 equals 4? I'm just not getting it. Jeremy, this is trigonometry. <laughs> I think you're in the wrong class. The fact is, is we give harder things so that we can take on harder things, right? God requires you... To, or be, Put you in situations that require faith so he can build your faith for greater things. Is that what you want? How big a God do you want to serve? How big a God do you want to serve? How much of a light do you want to be? Because it's going to be challenging. By the way, in chapter 5, verses 9 through 12, we see something really, really awesome. He says two things. He says, today I'm rolling away a... Uh, the, the skirt, I forget the word he uses here. <laughs> let, me, let me hear it right here. Uh, chapter 5 and verse 9, he says this. Then the Lord said to Joshua, this day I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And then he goes on, and then a little after that, in verse 12, he says, they ate the produce of the land that day, and after that, the manna stopped. Remember, God gave manna in the wilderness. We'll talk about it in just a second. But first of all, he rolled away the reproach of the Egyptians. Now, remember this. When they left, they beat Egypt, right? Awesome. And then they wandered for 40 years. It's almost, it's almost as though God was saying this. For those 40 years when they didn't enter the land they were leaving to go to, the Egyptians mocked them. God couldn't take him in. Oh, yeah, he got him out of Egypt, but he can't take him into a land that Moses talked about. He's not going to do it. So for 40 years, they had mocked the Israelites. And this is what Joshua said. Today, the mockery ends. Listen, when God does great things through his people, it closes the mouth of the detractors. Right? The people who say Christians aren't real. When God does real things, big things for his namesake, it takes those who want to impugn Christianity and it just causes them to say, okay, <laughs> I'll just, I'll just be quiet for a while. But number two, the manna. I love this. He says this. The manna's ended. Remember what manna was? It was this, this uh, like, like a coriander seed. It tasted like honey, these wafers, and they would crush them and turn them into different things. God fed them with manna. Uh, I call it kind of the uh, wilderness MREs for you military guys, right? Uh, it, it, we're not saying it's great, it's not terrible, but it will feed you and you can live on it. <laughs> And for 40 years, God had provided these things for them. And it was there all the time. Just every day, they would go up and gather manna that God provided. 
And it says, when they ate the produce of the land, God says, man is done. Why? Listen, folks, he told them, I'm taking, to you, taking you to a land of what? Milk and honey. Sounds a whole lot better than MREs to me. He's saying this. On that day, he says, you're going to cross into the land, and it's time to stop just feasting on the bare minimum. The wilderness time is over. It's time to go in the land, and now we're going to feast on God's blessings and goodness. Folks, I don't want to just wander around in the wilderness eating MREs. I want to go into the land and get the milk and the honey. And see, that's what God is saying here. You know, God has provided all these things in Christ Jesus, and we want to eat the bare minimum. And he's saying, I have laid before you a banquet, and you're eating cheese sticks on the sideline. What is wrong with you? Nothing wrong with a good cheese stick, but I don't want to feast on that every day. He said, get in there and get the banquet of Jesus Christ. Christ has provided all these things for you. Lay hold of eternal life. Grab hold of them. He said, folks, it's time for the milk and honey. And I tell you, some of you right now just need to decide, God, I'm tired of living on the MREs. I'm ready for the milk and honey. God, I'm going to go deeper with Jesus Christ. I'm going to know him. I'm going to feast on who Christ is. And I'm going to live in the outflow of who Jesus is. I want milk and honey. It's time for you to decide, I want more than this. Well, let me wrap this up, okay? Just remind you of two things as we close. Let me say just a couple things, okay? Don't forget that God went before them. God took the Ark of the Covenant into that river to cause it to stop. Jesus always goes with us no matter where we go, amen? That's why we can do great things in his name, because Jesus goes with us. And he said more than that. He says, hey, more than that, I'm going to drive out the Canaanites from before you. I'm going to go before you and prepare the way. Jesus is way ahead of you. You realize that, right? doesn't mean he's still not with you. What he's saying is he's preparing the way. All the things that are necessary for, for God to bless you, everything that's necessary for you to make it through the difficult circumstances, God has already provided. He's gone before you, but then now he goes with you. And they pass through. And you know what? I'm also thankful God does give more chances. Amen? He gives them another chance. You failed the first time, but folks, listen, don't wallow in defeat. If you have given in to sin, if you've gone down the wrong track and made a mess of your life, God wants to restore your life. He's, listen, God isn't more pleased because you are more sorry and feel more like a loser. God doesn't, isn't pleased with that. You know what he's pleased by? When we lay hold of the promises given us about Jesus Christ. When we lay hold of the reconciliation and restoration we have in Jesus. That's what makes God happy. Stop wallowing, start following, amen? That's what God has called us to do. So how do we live this out? I'm going to encourage you, keep a journal of the things that God does. Keep a journal. Uh, I often write down just things that he teaches me day by day as a memorial. But one thing I did through some of the most difficult journeys of my life, I've just gotten just a plain three-ring, small three-ring binder thing, and I just wrote out some stories, some things that God did. I, I didn't do that for everything, and I'm really sorry that I didn't. I wish I, I wish I had written down more. But every once in a while, I can pull those out. I can flip back and say, God did that, didn't he? Man, God is good. God is faithful. I'll read back and I'll even, I'll even record what I was feeling at the time. Man, I was terrified. My heart was broken. I thought, God, there's no way. How? And then God did something and I recorded that. Listen, make a record. Make monuments of what God has done. Now listen, don't, don't do this. Don't be content to just rest on what God did yesterday. You know what David says in Psalm chapter 40? He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise to our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. He's saying this. You know what? Uh, uh, if you read that whole psalm, you know what you'll find out what he's talking about when he says a new song in my mouth? God's done it, doing a new thing in my life. God's doing a new thing. And he says this. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord. He's saying this. God is constantly doing new things in your life. So let me tell you this. Right down and keep monuments of what God did in the past. But get some new songs, amen. <laughs> get some new songs. Say, God, I want to see you do even greater things. And then as I close, I don't want to miss the beautiful picture of Jesus Christ in this passage. Jesus Christ 
through the veil of the flesh, it said. He came, we saw that in Hebrews chapter 2. He came to earth. And so that all those who by faith go into Jesus Christ by trusting the gospel that he lived a life we couldn't live, suffer the death that we should have suffered, all that he might please God on our behalf, so that we say, it's not my good works that get me to heaven. Hey, listen, they didn't get into Canaan because they were good enough. They got into Canaan because God opened the way. And the God who in the ark was present there is a picture of Jesus who came in his present here, and through his death, we're given life. Don't miss that. Don't say, well, God just wants to do greater things in my life. The first great work he wants to do in your life is to save your soul through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. And you know what? You say, well, how do I get that? Same way they entered into Canaan, by faith. By faith. Say, I don't deserve heaven, but Jesus earned it for me. I will therefore go into Jesus Christ. And through that, I will pass from death unto life and I will enter into Canaan's land. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for these passages. God, I pray that you'd help us. Uh, even in 1 Samuel chapter 7, it says that Samuel raised his Ebenezer, <laughs> stone of remembrance. God, each of us has to have that first stone of remembrance and that salvation in Christ Jesus, where we can look back and see the day that we were changed from death to life, the old creature becomes the new creature. That which was dead has now become alive in Christ Jesus. God, my prayer is this, that no one would walk out of this room and not know Jesus Christ, their Savior, that right now at this very moment they would reach out and say, Jesus, I need you. I, I have sinned and earned nothing but death and destruction. You have sent Jesus to earn life on my behalf. That is what I cling to. Reach out for Jesus and he will save you. That's the first stone. That's the first Ebenezer, stone of remembrance you need in your life. But you know what? Lord, I pray that you'd help us to say, along the way, we're gonna, we're gonna write down remembrances so we can remember the great things that you've done. But then God, by faith, you've prepared us through these things so that we can go forward and we can see you write new songs in our life. New reasons to praise you because you're doing new things in our life. God, the best is yet to come. We refuse to, to wallow, and we choose to follow. Lord, I pray that you'd help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you have a very safe Memorial Day. Um, I encourage you, uh, if you haven't already done it, maybe go out and visit the cemetery. Uh, we have a wonderful, wonderful uh, cemetery, veteran cemetery right out here, and it's beautiful. And just remember, those who gave that sacrifice, be thankful. Uh, you know, we can be patriotic without losing sight of the kingdom of God. We can do both. We do so in a right way, in a biblical way, but you know what? We ought to be thankful for providence, amen? God's done some wonderful things, and I'm very grateful, and we should be grateful for the men and women who have served. And let me just tell you this. One last thing. Uh, oftentimes, we remember those who've died in the service of their country, but would you please not forget those who didn't die on the battlefield or in service, but when they came back, they were forever changed. They saw things. That made it very difficult for them as they returned. Don't forget those who left something behind when they served. And let's pray for them and let's encourage them and let's be there for them too. Okay? Lord bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful Memorial Day. We're dismissed.